You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. I'm excited about having you with us today. I believe it's going to be a powerful word. I want you to tag a friend and let them know that we're live right here on Facebook. It's going to be a blessing. Listen, you can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. But I want you to tag a friend now, but after the podcast teaching, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to, to share the information. I want you to push share. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you, but I believe it's going to also be a blessing to someone else. I got my iPad here. Uh, and listen, at the end of the podcast, you can send your questions, your comments, all through the teaching. Uh, we'll receive it at the end of the teaching. I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to uh, mention your comments. You've done a great job in that, and I believe it's going to be a great blessing, a blessing today. Now, most of you that have been with us for a while know that I am actually going back over or reviewing what we teach on Sundays and, and I decided to do that because what we're teaching now is so very important, so very important that I wanted us to get rooted in it. And then I wanted you to have an opportunity to ask questions because on Sundays you can't ask questions. You're sitting there listening, but you can't answer questions. But I wanted to have a format that you can challenge or say you disagree or you thought something else. You don't have to accept everything that I'm saying. Don't have to agree with it. Uh, and we're going to all do it in love. And I believe it's going to be a blessing. Listen, repetition is very, very important. I Every week I listen to a healing, uh, a healing teaching. I go to my app. And I look at, a, I got a, a lesson that I listen to every week. And I listen to the same sermon, the same lesson. It spoke to me when I first listened to it. So now every week I listen to the same sermon. I want it to be rooted on the inside of me. And then we're in a pandemic. I want to make sure that I'm hearing something other than the news. Okay, we, we're talking about the culture of heaven, the culture of heaven. Uh, the theme is the fruit of the spirit. This is our second lesson. And, and this series is a character based series. Holy Spirit, some uh, months ago said to me that the next move of God will be in the area of character. The next move of God was being the area of character. So he's building our character so that we can be a part of the next move. Now, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. This is our second lesson. But I want to go back for just a moment and review what we talked about in our lesson one. In lesson one, we talked about the character of Satan the group of qualities that make Satan different from others listed as works of the flesh 
in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. We also, in lesson one, talked about the culture of the kingdom of darkness, the thinking and behavior of the unsaved. Well, today we're going to begin to talk about the character of Jesus and the qualities that make him different from others. And we're going to also be talking about the culture of the kingdom of heaven, the thinking and the behavior of the saved. That's you and I. Many of us, most of you that's listened to me now, probably will say, yes, I'm born again. I'm saved. Well, this is going to be a blessing for you. So this is lesson one. Our background text is taken from Galatians chapter five. <clears throat> I give you these texts so that you can go back and you can look it up. Galatians chapter five, verse 22 through 23 in the King James Version, the traditional King James Version. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. You know, historically, when I first got in the Word, I thought that when the uh, Scripture said that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, I thought the scripture was saying that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. But I no longer believe that. I don't believe that these nine qualities are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, fruit is produced from a seed and fruit grows and develops. But the Holy Spirit is God. Unlike fruit, he can't grow, he can't develop because he's perfect and complete. So let's answer, what is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is the nine qualities, the nine quality traits of Jesus Christ placed in seed form in the human spirit of the Christian at the new birth. I'm going to say that again. That may be a little different than what you've heard in the past. The fruit of the Spirit listed here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, is the nine character traits of Jesus placed in seed form in the human spirit of the Christian at the new birth. These qualities, all nine of them, was placed in your human, your reborn human spirit at the new birth. If you're born again, if you're saved, all nine of these qualities were placed in seed form in your reborn human spirit when you invited Jesus Christ into your life. And oftentimes, because we don't know this, we're asking God to give us love and asking God to give me peace and asking God to give me this and asking God to give me temperance and all those things 
when you have in seed form all these nine qualities. These are the nine qualities that make Jesus different from others. These are also the nine qualities that make you and I as Christians different from others. Now, I want you to listen at this statement. Being that these qualities are already in us, all nine of them are already in us in seed form, that being true, it is the responsibility of the believer in partnership with the Holy Spirit to grow and develop in the character of Jesus. It is your responsibility. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, I'm born again, I'm a Christian. It is our responsibility in partnership with the Holy Spirit to grow and develop in the character of Jesus, to grow and develop in Christ's likeness. I love, uh, you, you see, these qualities are really supernatural. And when we get into these qualities, you're going to see this is supernatural. This is a supernatural way to live. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't walk in, in it. Not a single one of these qualities apart. From, in other words, we know we need the Holy Spirit. In fact, it is the Holy Spirit who came on the inside of us also at the time we were born again who helps us to do this. And that's the difference between the works of the flesh and Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are behaviors, actions that we perform, we engage in apart from God. We do it out of our own energy, out of our own volition, out of our, our own will. We do it apart from God. But we cannot operate in the fruit of the Spirit, developing the fruit of the Spirit, developing Christ's likeness apart from the Holy Spirit's help. And that's why I like 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 in the New Living Translation, it says, The Lord, who is the Spirit, make us more and more like Him. The Lord, who is the Spirit, make us more and more like Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and the traditional king says that we're, as we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, it says we are changed into that same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, listen at this. Listen at this, and you got to get this, because what I'm teaching is going to require some intentionality on your part. So you got to you got to get this. Salvation is not the goal of the Christian journey. Now, will you say that after me? I want you to say that after me. I'm going to say it. I want you to say it after me. Salvation is not the goal of the Christian journey. You said, well, if it's not the goal of the Christian journey, what is salvation? Salvation is one of the most important things you can engage in 
the most important decision you can make, getting saved, but it is the doorway to the Christian journey. It's the doorway. It's not the goal. The goal of the Christian journey is Christ-likeness. Please get that. The goal in the Christian journey is Christ-likeness. That's one of the major reasons why God sent his spirit to live in you so that you and I, once we receive Jesus, become more and more like Christ. That should be something that you're intentional about. That's why this series is so very important. It is more important than me telling you about how to get your needs met. This is more important than that because this should be our goal as Christians to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to look at these nine qualities because these nine qualities uh, represent Jesus' character. If you had, if you wanted to, if you want to see what Jesus was like in the earth, you look at these nine qualities and you know exactly how he behaved. You know exactly how he acted. You know exactly uh, his character if you knew these nine qualities. Now, we're going to look at three of them in each session. Three qualities in each session. Before we get into those, the first three, love, joy, and peace, before we get to those first three, I want to give you a power statement. I want to give you a power statement. And here's the statement. Differentness brings distinction. Differentness brings distinction. I'll say it again. Differentness brings distinction. Distinction simply means to operate at a level of excellence that sets you apart from others. Being set apart from others. And it's differentness that sets us apart from others. You see, it is God's plan for us as Christians to not be like the world. God did not recreate us so that we could just be like the world. And we shouldn't be ashamed of being different. We, we, different, different sets us apart. It's, it's differentness that brings distinction. You know, people, there are many people that different people look up to. In the world of sports, people uh, look up to Michael Jordan or uh, they lift up, look up to, to, to LeBron James or uh, Durant. And the reason why they look up to these players uh, is because of their, their distinction. They have distinguished themselves by being different. They operate on another, another level. They're not average. They don't look just like every other athlete. Many people look up to Beyonce and they look up to Jay-Z. And, 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 and in his lifetime, they looked up to Steve Jobs. And the reason why people look up to these 
what we call celebrities is because they are different. If they were average, just like everybody else, nobody would be talking about them. But it's because differentness has brought distinction. Well, God has called you and I to not be like the world. He's called us to be different. Come on, say different. He called us to be different. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are the light of the world. He said, you, speaking to the believer, to the Christian, he said, you are the light of the world. In in, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he said that we are operating, and I'm paraphrasing, we are operating in a crooked and perverse generation. In other words, he said that the world is crooked, is twisted out of place. He said that it's perverse. It is not operating according to God's standard. Then he says to you and I, shine as lights. You see, we, you and I, should be so different that it brings us distinction. And Jesus says that he'll draw all men when we lift him up. Okay, now, I want us to get into these qualities, these nine qualities. We'll look at three today, love, joy, and peace. And I want you to think, and you can send your questions, your comments as we walk through these. I want you to keep that in your mind Distinction, differentness brings distinction. I want you to keep that in your mind. As we look at those these qualities, differentness brings distinction. You're going to see how different these qualities are when you grow them in you and develop them on the inside of you. I'm going to give you a definition. We're going to start with love. I'm going to give you a definition, give you proof text. Then we're going to look at distinctive qualities of this manifestation of fruit. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. It is a character trait of Jesus Christ and should be a character trait of Christians, of believers. So what is love? Very simple definition. Love means to care like God. That's simple, isn't it? When we're operating and developing this fruit on the inside of us, We're going to care like God. Now listen at this proof text, John 13, 34 through 35 in the New King James Version. And I know many of you Bible students, you've heard this text. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now listen at the text. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, now there is something special about this love. This is, this is not average love. This is, this is every, every person is not walking in this. Although we use that word love, I love you, I love you, love me, I love you. You hear all the time, people say it all the time, but this is something different. It has to be something different because Jesus says, now all men will know that you're my disciple 
by this love. They they recognize you. This will be our badge, our ID. People will recognize you. So let's look at it. The distinctive quality of this love is the object. The distinctive quality of this love that all men will recognize that we're Jesus' disciples is the quality, is the object. It is outward. This love, the object of this love is outward. The object of this love is not inward. It's not inward. It's outward. Now, it is number one, selfless. This love is selfless. All marriages, every divorce, at some, every divorce, every separation, every relationship breakup usually is connected to some form of selfishness, either on one or both parties. Now, listen at this. It is selfless. This love thinks about others. It thinks about what's best for others. What is best for the other person? It always, it never thinks about what's best for me. That's the, that's the uh, nature and the character of Satan. The works of the flesh, all 17 that we listed at, listed, relate to some form of self. It's self, it's egocentric, it's self-centered. But this love thinks about what's best for others. And an illustration that I use in uh, Sunday, and I'll, I'll use a couple of illustrations, and I'll use it again. And, and sometimes I will highlight things about sex, especially when I teach on character. I bring up the issue of sexual behavior because we live in a sex-craved world. Everything is about sex. Everything. If you watch a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, even during the commercials, they they uh, it's about sex. Uh, we were looking the other night at a boxing match, and they they brought these girls in the box and and the ring, and and they were dressed in skimpy wear. If you let me allow me to call that. Because we live in a sex-crave world. So my wife and I, I use my wife as an example. We've been married for 43 years. Now, a work of the flesh that we talked about would be adultery. Adultery would be me, teaching purposes only, to move outside of my relationship to get some kind of gratification, some kind of romance, uh, flirting or sex or whatever it is outside of my relationship. That's not, adultery couldn't be love. Now I can say I love this person and they can say they love me, but it couldn't be love because it's not what's best for my wife. How can me, having an affair with someone else 
and that would include everything from flirting all the way up to sexual intercourse, how would that be love? That wouldn't be love. That's not what's best for my wife. Her nickname is Pete. That's not best for her. That wouldn't be best for my children because it would, it would embarrass them. Their daddy having a relationship with somebody, that would embarrass them. Think about it, I pastor a church. That wouldn't be love for my church because they would be walking around if it hit the fan and, and their heads down because their pastor went outside of that. That's not love. See, love thinks about what's best for the other person. Well, let's talk to single people. One of the works of the flesh is fornication. Well, you know, and I always talk to I always talk to my guys because you you have a special place in the kingdom. So I talk to my single guys. Fornication is not love. You're not loving somebody when you are fornicating, when you're having sexual relations with somebody outside of man. You you can't love her. You 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 it's impossible for you to love somebody because think about it. What, what the possibility of you taking, because if you're going to function that way, then you can pick up all kinds of sexual transmitted diseases. How is that loving the person that you're significant of? How is that loving when it's a possibility of you transmitting a sexually tra transmitted disease? And then think about it, guys. The possibility of her getting pregnant. That's not love, because if she gets pregnant, then you're going to push for her to have an abortion. That's not loving her. Or if she had the baby, you can walk away, and she has to go through all this junk and all this stuff and trying to raise the child by herself. That's not love. No, that's a loss. That's not love. And let's stop saying that. And you, you, and, and sisters, listen to me. If a guy said, I love you, and he's requiring you to have sex with him, that's not love. That's selfish. That's selfish. This love is not about what's best for me. Well, you know, my, my husband is not satisfying me. My wife is not satisfying me. Your husband, your wife should satisfy you. You should meet your needs. I'm not talking against that. But you have to trust God, no matter what the situation, to meet your needs. You've got to trust him. You can't take it into your own hands because that's not love. Love thinks about what's best for the other person. And that's different. That, that makes us different because that's not the way the world thinks. The world thinks about what's best for me my needs, what I have to have, but what stand, causes you and I to stand out is that we're thinking about what's best for the other people. And I've said this for years. The men in my church helped me to live a safe life. You say, why that? Why that? Because I know that it's a little more difficult for men to get connected to God. And if they believe in you, they really believe in you. And here you go out as a preacher, to, I'm including myself, and do something crazy, you know, sexually or whatever. Some men will walk away from God and never, they'll never connect with God again. They should uh, connect to God, but they won't. Some won't. Well, 
if you if you love people, you you think about them. Okay, how will my behavior impact other folk? It's not just getting my needs met. I want my needs. I gotta have my needs met. No, no, that's the world. We're talking about love that thinks what's best for other people. The, think about it. This love is extremely generous. It's always giving, always giving. But the thing about this love, it, 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 it gives you best. It gives, it gives you best. The Bible said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't call an angel. He didn't call Gabriel. He didn't, he didn't say, listen, one of you angels, I want you to all go down there and sacrifice your life. No, he gave his son. He gave his best. So this kind of love, it gives the best. Now, some of you, you've heard my story about how God began to train me on his love and giving during our struggle days. You know, I love ties. People don't wear ties a lot now. Talk about neckties. So we don't wear a lot of them now. But I love ties and I would buy these ties. But we were struggling, so I couldn't afford expensive ties. I couldn't afford different ties. So we would go to Atlanta. And on the way to Atlanta, there was a store in Anniston, and they were selling ties. They were cheap, too. They were $7 ties. I mean, I would try to stack up on those ties. And it was one tie. You know how it is, ladies. You like certain shoes. You got all these shoes, but you like this pair of shoes. You understand, guys, how that is. You got certain things that you really like better than other things. Maybe it's a tool. You got all these tools, but you just love this particular tool. Well, I love this particular tie. It was my favorite tie. And God spoke to me about giving this tie to someone. And I just, I struggle with that. He's training me. Give the tie to this person. Give the tie to the person. So I pull out two uh, new shirts. I had a white, two white shirts, and I had two brand new ties. I give them this, God. I give them this. brand new ties, brand new shirts. No, no. I want you to give them this tie. And I'm thinking, why should I give them this tie? Now, listen to me. Listen to the illustration. The person was blind. The person was blind. So I'm thinking, what difference does it make whether it's this tie or the other ties, because the person can't see the ties. So I'm talking to God like this. You say, you talk to God like, yeah, I'm talking to God like this. Yeah, I'm negotiating with him, trying to, but he's training me. So I gave the guy the tie, but I also gave him the two white shirts and the two ties. What was he teaching me? He was teaching me his love, give the best. It thinks about the other person. You say, well, the person couldn't see the tie, but other folk could see him. Other person, people could see him in the tithe and him in the church. And God wanted him to look good, but he was also teaching me, don't give people something that you don't like, I mean, you don't want. Don't give them breath, give them your best. And that's why my wife and I, whenever we get a new car, we always give the old car away. And the last car we gave to her sister, and, and it was a good car. Uh, Mercedes uh, has still had a lot of life to it and miles to go on it. But we wanted to give a good gift. 
you know, I had a few dents on it from people hitting it with the boogies in their parking lot. So I took it to a, a I took it to an auto place and had them to take all the dents out of it. I put four brand new tires on it. I had the car service, then we gave it because we wanted to give like God, care like God. We wanted to give something that we we want that to come back to us. So this kind of love gives your best. It just don't give stuff you've worn out. If you've worn it out, throw it in the trash. If it's no good, don't give it to somebody. This love also reacts differently. And this really... This one is this one is huge. It reacts differently. I, I got three questions already. Keep sending your questions in. We're talking about this. The, this love, it, the object is outward, but it not only is it selfish, selfless, selfless, and not only is it extremely generous, give the best, but it also reacts differently. Wow. Now listen at this. Matthew 5, 44 says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wow, that's different. Wow. Love enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you, persecute you. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Who do you know doing that? Okay, come on, be honest. Who do you know doing that? What Christians you know practice this? Do you know any Christians? Well, let's talk about you. Do you practice this? Love enemies. Think about that. Now, I think I can think of some things you could do for your enemies. I bet you can think of some things you can do for, I bet you got some words you could give your enemies. I, I bet you can set your enemies straight. But God said, don't set them straight. He said, no, no, no. He said, I want you to love enemies. Not friends, not relatives, not people on your side. He said, love enemies. Wow, that will make us different. He said, bless those that curse you. The folk who talking about you, you're going to find something different and good to say about them. If nothing more than God created them and, and God loved them, you go rather than getting your feelings hurt and getting the offended, because everybody can do that. Everybody can get offended. Everybody can get their feelings hurt. Everybody can feel sorry for themselves. Everybody can curse folk back. That's not different. Differentness brings distinction. He says, when people curse you, you turn around and say something good about them. You bless them. He says, when people hate you, he said, do something good for them. Think about that. That makes us different. In fact, it may even embarrass those that hate us. You know somebody hates you and you're going to do something good for them. And then you're going to take out some time and pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, I've experienced some persecution. I have personally been called names. I have been called a cult leader. I have been called a false prophet. I have been called uh, a, a, a false shepherd. Uh, and I have been called things to my face, to 
to my face. Not something that I heard, but I've been called things to my face. And I'm quite sure you've heard some things too. Well, God taught me something years ago. <laughs> I was thinking about some, somebody was talking about our church, Faith Chapel here in Birmingham. They were talking about our church at the dentist, and my wife was at the dentist, and they were a uh, lady was over in another section talking to a group of people, and they were sitting there listening to this person, and they were talking about how you have to show your check stuff here at Faith Chapel. You join that church, you got to show your check stuff. She She's just talking about our church, probably never been to our church. Well, my wife heard her, and so she corrected her. She told her she was lying because she was the pastor. Now, I'm quite sure you've heard things about yourself. How do you react? This love reacts differently. It reacts. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't act. It doesn't hate enemies. It it, it it doesn't curse folk who curse you. You curse them back. It it, it doesn't uh, pray that they die if they persecute you. Pray that God get them. That God set them straight. No, it, it doesn't even pray like that. Pray for their good. Well, I learned that early in my ministry, and I hope you are learning it, have learned it, and will learn it, because it will, it will preserve your vision, because Satan wants you to get angry and curse and fight and kick back. He wants you to do that so he can shut you down, shut your vision down, stop you from moving forward. The only way I've been able to move forward is I do this. I do this. I stand and pray for folk. I do it. I don't stand up. You've never heard me get in the pulpit and, and talk about it. Only reason I bring up some of these stuff is I'm teaching. I don't even talk about this unless I'm teaching because I want you to know what happened. I remember I, I learned this in my first church. I was a young minister in my first church, and, and I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, too. And, you know, some of the people in that first church didn't want me to be in that church. In fact, I had a leader in that church who really did not like me at all. He didn't care for me. In fact, he told me one time, if you want to do that kind of teaching, you need to go to the sanctified church. He told me, I didn't hear this. He told me this to my face. In other words, you, we don't like this. He told me this, and I knew he would talk about me, and I knew he talked behind my back, and I knew he smiled in my face and all that. And I saw him one day, he came in the barbershop. I'm sitting in the barbershop. When I saw him, I wanted to drop my head because, I, you know, he, you, you'd rather for folks just curse you out than folks do like he was doing. And I don't know why I did it. It had to be the Spirit of God who led me. He was coming to the, through the door of the barbershop. I got up and walked toward him, and I hugged him. Had to be the Spirit of God. I wasn't feeling that. I didn't feel any of that because this love has nothing to do with feeling. But God was training me. He was developing me and reacting in love. This, this love sets you apart because you react differently. 
and it has nothing to do with feelings because you're not going to feel this. You're not going to feel love for your enemies. You're not going to feel like blessing those who curse you. You're not going to feel like praying for those who persecute you. You're not going to feel like doing good to those who hate you. You're not going to feel it. But this is not feeling. This is God's love. And it will set you apart. It makes you different because differentness brings distinction. Now, let's go to the second. Let's go to the second quality, joy. Now, I give you a definition. I give you proof text, and then we'll look at distinctive qualities. What is joy? Joy is an inner rejoicing, not dependent on circumstances. An inner rejoicing not dependent on circumstances. I got some questions. Keep sending your questions and your comments. Now, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, in the New King James Version, and, and God here through the prophet Habakkuk speaking to Israel, an agrarian society. He said, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the Olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now, you may not be a farmer. You may not understand the background of this. It's simply saying for the, to the farmer, even if nothing is going right in your business, no productivity, no fruitfulness. Have you ever been in a situation where when you looked at your life, you saw no productivity, you saw no fruitfulness? You, you, in fact, it looked like you were failing. Well, that's what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying even in this kind of situation when nothing is going right, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now, that's powerful. Let's look at another proof text. Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 in the New King James Version. He's, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's given a testimony of the churches in Macedonia. And this is what he said in the second verse. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, now listen, Ooh, listen at this. There are two things. Think about a, a sandwich. You got a slice of bread on one side, another slice of bread on the other side, and you got the meat and the lettuce and all this on the inside. He sandwiched this he sandwiched joy on the one side. He said these Christians were involved in a great trial of affliction. That simply means they had a lot of pressure on them. A lot of things were going wrong in their lives. Affliction, pressures. They had a lot of pressure. He felt great trial of pressure. And then he says on the other side, they were in deep poverty deep poverty, down to the bottom poverty. So they got pressure on one side, poverty on the other side. Now, now the reason why they experienced poverty, 
Because in this same chapter, he talked about Jesus became poor so they could become rich. In those days, when you confess Christ, when you confess him, man, you could lose your job. You could lose your property. You can lose everything. And so some of these Christians had lost a lot following Christ. So the Bible said they were deep poverty. So on the one hand, they got all these afflictions. On the other hand, they were struggling financially. And right in the middle, he says, the abundance of their joy. Wow. They had an abundance of joy. Notice, not sadness, not depression, not suicidal, not hopeless, not giving up. The Bible says they had an abundance of joy. I believe that we have a, an amazing opportunity as believers. Thank you. I got, I'm getting questions coming in. Thank you so very much for my questions. I think we have an, um, 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 a wonderful opportunity in this pandemic. In this pandemic, and it's been different phases of it, people unemployed, people sick, people dying, just a lot of stuff, political stuff going on, you know, the talk about the vaccine and this and that, a lot of confusion, division. We have an amazing opportunity to replicate Christ. We have an amazing opportunity. If in Habakkuk's day, they could rejoice in the Lord, if these churches, Christians in Macedonia could be in deep poverty and pressure everywhere, and they had an abundance of joy, why can't we have joy right now? Why is it that Many Christians are walking around afraid of everything. They're afraid of everything. They're afraid of everything. They won't even leave the house, period. They're just afraid of everything. Why is it that Christians are, are, are sad and depressed and discouraged and hopeless? The world has that. Think about it. Think about it. The world is suicidal. The world is pulling the hair out. The world is complaining. The world is murmuring. Where are the saints? Where? He says, shine as a light in this world. You are the light of the world. We can have joy because joy is an inner rejoicing, not dependent on the circumstances. The world got happiness. And happiness, I'm happy when everything is going. I'm sad when things are going bad. We got joy, which means we can be up and excited and full of energy and excitement and enthusiasm, even when everything around us is going wrong. Now, what is the distinctive quality of this joy? What is the distinctive quality? The distinctive quality is focus. Focus. Focusing on the victory beyond the present. That's the difference. The believer is not supposed to be focusing on the now, not focusing on the present. We're supposed to be focusing on the victory 
beyond the present. You see, the Bible says, and this podcast is based off this text, in 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians, the Bible says this, and we quote it every day, 2.14. Now, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. The Bible said we always triumph. We always triumph. According to that verse, we have to win. No matter what you're going through around, no matter how dare things look, how desperate things look, how bad things look, it has to turn around. It has to. Because the Bible says we always triumph. The reason why we're depressed the reason why we're discouraged, the reason why we're suicidal is because we're focusing on the now, the present. Now, listen what it says. Listen what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, notice what it says. It says we are to look to Jesus because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only did he start it, you received Christ. Listen, he's going to perfect that which concerneth you. He's going to carry you all the way to the end. He didn't save you to drop you. He's going to carry you all the way through the end. But the Bible says we're to look unto him because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Now listen at this. Who for the joy set before him. Now watch this. He endured the cross. Now think about it. What was the cross like? What do you think that cross was like? What do, you, what do you think the cross was like? Do you think he felt great about the cross? Do you think he felt happy? No, 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 no. The Bible said he had joy, though. He had joy. How in the world could a man get whipped the way he whipped, nail-driven in his hand, going through the pain, struggling to get air, trying to get air, suffocating on that cross, and how could he have joy? The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the chain, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So it was looking beyond the present focus to the throne, sitting at the right hand of the throne. He saw himself beyond what was going on. He saw himself sitting at the right hand of the Father. But not only that, he saw you and I and the world saved through his sacrifice. He saw beyond what was going on, and he saw us in the family of God. And notice, looking, focus, that's the, that's the distinctive quality of this joy. You'll never have joy looking at the present. You can have happiness or sadness, but you can have joy. Joy is always looking beyond the present. And see, think about it. We have that capacity 
because we're born again. We have the capacity to look in three two worlds. We can look in the present and we can look in the spirit world. That's why the Bible says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Usually, when we get depressed and we're ready to quit and give up, is because we're focusing on the present. We're looking at the scene. And much of the time, we're not spending quality time praying. We're not spending quality time in the Word. So everything is, you know, and then especially if we're looking at the news all the time, it's crowding us in, and it you, you won't even go out the house. I mean, you sit there and watch that television and watch that news, you won't even go out the house, okay? Think about how this would look. Everybody got laid off. They shut your plant down, shut your company down, shut your department down, and everybody is messed up about it, depressed and discouraged, and you're full of joy. Wow, that would be different, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be different? You got the same situation going on in your life, and yet you feel with joy. See, that's different. Differentness brings distinction. Let's close out by looking at peace. What is peace? Peace is undisturbed and undisturbed mind and heart. I got good questions. I'm going to get your questions in just a moment. And undisturbed mind and heart. Here's our proof text. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillar, and they awoke him and said unto him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Mark 4.38. So Jesus in a storm, boat full of water, drowning kind of water, and he's asleep on a pillar. He's not walking back and forth, prancing in it, prancing back and forth, trying to figure out how he's going to make it. The Bible says he's asleep on a pillow. That's peace. That's supernatural, supernatural peace right in the middle of the storm. That made him different. It made him so different that the disciples said, don't you care? And when you walk in this level of peace, people are going to think you don't care because care is the way the world operates. If you love me, you'll care. If, if, you, if you love me, you'll worry about me. You'll prance the floor. No, 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 no. That's the world. Care is of the world. The Bible says, cast all your care on him. If you cast your cares on him, you don't have them. Now listen at this. Philippians 4, 6 in the New Living Translation, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Now, I tell you, last night we went to the movies and I, and I left the movies and got home and was looking for my wallet. And when I looked for my wallet, I couldn't find my wallet in the car, in the house, anywhere. And it dawned on me that I had not my wallet, but my cell phone. I'm sorry. I was looking for my cell phone. And it dawned on me that I had left my cell phone at the movies. And we went to the movies late. I'm telling you, 
I was tempted to worry, but I got some peace. I'll be honest with you. I was cool. I really was cool. And I prayed about it because the Bible says, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. I prayed about it. Yeah, I, I, I was praying that the, that they, you know, hadn't shut the movie down because we went to a late movies. I was praying that somebody be there and I was praying that I could get my water. So I prayed about it and I just got, I got real still. I got real still. I got real still about it. Real still. I, I think I even turned on Joel Osteen on my, on my uh, satellite radio. And when I got there, I went to the door. I knew exactly where we seated in there, and I pulled the doors, and they were all locked. And I saw, and the place looked dark, but I saw one car in the parking lot, just one car in the parking lot, and I saw this guy and this girl talking, and I asked them, did they work there? And the young lady said, yeah, I work here. And I said, can you? I left my cell phone in the movie, and she, I said, can you open the door for me? And she came over there. She said, you know what movie it was? And I said, yes. I went straight to it, got it, and came out with my cell phone. And I'm telling you, that's a small, that may be a small thing, but it's small things that cause us to worry. But that was supernatural because they could have came out the movies, finished work, got in their car, and left. It was the only car the only car in the parking lot, the only car in the whole parking lot. And it was the person who had had closed the movie theater down. I'm certain of it that God caused them to talk in that parking lot to give me time to get there to get my cell phone. Be careful. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him. And the Bible says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds. So what is the distinctive quality? It's consistency. Consistency of thoughts, attitude, and dispositions. You're just real consistent. You're not moody. You're not up and down. You, you, you know, some Christians, you can't talk to them early in the morning. Cause they hadn't had their coffee, or they hadn't. They they snap early in the morning. They snap when they got pressure on them. But people who walk in peace, they're consistent. They're not moody. They're not anxious. They don't blow up on people and say, "Well, I got pressure on me." No, no. Consistency is the distinctive quality. Consistency in our thoughts and our attitudes and our disposition. Now, think about it. As I close, the distinctive quality of love is that it's outward. The distinctive quality of joy is focus, is beyond the present. The distinctive quality about peace is that there, it causes us to be just so consistent because we're trusting God. Think about it. You don't even worry. You don't worry. Now, the... Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. If I be lifted up, not me, not my flesh. If I, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw. When people in the kingdom of darkness see our love, our joy, our peace, they will be attracted to Jesus. Maybe that's why they're not attracted to Jesus to the level that they should be because they don't see Jesus. They see us. They see our flesh. 
And then we give ourselves an excuse. We say, well, we just human. We all just human. No, we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We are human, but we have the helper. He's on the inside of us to help us to be just like Jesus. We can be just like him in our home, in our church, at work, at school. We can be just like Jesus. Now, next week, we're going to look at the next three. We're going to look at long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Now, I got some questions, and I want to answer these questions. Question number one, what about me saying I love God but go to the world to meet my needs? Is that spiritual fornication? Well, it it just depends on what what you mean by go to the world to meet my needs. I don't... Um... If, if it's in the context of what I was talking about, for example, uh, uh, I guess the answer would be yes. I said, for example, if I'm married, and let's say my wife is not meeting my needs or my husband's not meeting my needs, so I'm going to meet my own needs, that is a problem. Now, if that's what you mean, then yes, a person can fornicate spiritually. In other words, be unfaithful spiritually. In fact, to be honest with you, all the works of the flesh are going outside. It's trying to meet our needs apart from God, all of them. All the works of the flesh, that's what they are. They're an attempt to meet our needs, attempt to operate without God's help. Good question. Are there boundaries for selfless love? And if so, what are they beside the obvious mental physical abuse? Well, selfless love, I don't, I don't think there's no boundaries other than being led by the Spirit. I think we're supposed to be led by the Spirit in everything. Uh, that's why he's on the inside of you to guide you, to help you, to, to show you the way, to, to develop you. So the, the only boundary I would see is to be led by the Spirit. And I don't know if that's a boundary as much as a guideline. Um, the bottom line on it, selfless love, is I'm thinking about the other person and I'm trusting God to take care of me. And that's how it's how it's done. I think about the other person, what's best for other people, and then I trust God to take care of me. Question, if you have a spouse that's doing that, what do you suggest? This might be related to going outside of the home for love, comfort, needs, etc. Well, I suggest that you get counseling. I suggest that you and your spouse get counseling. If your spouse is going outside of the home for love, comfort, needs, etc., then uh, that's a that's a form of adultery, and it may not even be sexual intercourse. It may be you can commit adultery by getting your emotional needs from somebody else other than your spouse. I mean, you, you know, you, you got this female or you got this man and he's always telling you how wonderful you are and how good you are and all that. And, and y'all just feeding each other emotionally. It may not be any sex involved in that, but that's not that's not a blessing. 
especially if you know the person is attracted to you and you're attracted to that person and you know that you getting your needs met, you need to, you need to get counsel. And then if your spouse doesn't want counsel, then I think you've got a problem. You've got to decide whether you're going to tolerate that. You've got to decide whether you're going to live like that. Question, does love forget? If someone hurts you, do you open yourself to be hurt again? No. No, love doesn't submit to abuse at all. Uh, I don't think love forgets. I think love is a choice. I think it's a choice to not dwell on the hurt. I think it's a choice to forgive. I think it's a choice to not talk about what somebody did to you. Uh, I think it's a choice to talk to a counselor rather than talking to sideways so everybody know what happened to you. So no, um, it's, I don't think you forget, but I think the blood of Jesus and the word of God can take away the pain. I don't think you have to live with pain the rest of your life. The scripture says the blood of Jesus will cleanse our consciousness from dead works. So I believe that you can be cleansed from the pain you may remember the situation, but it don't. It doesn't pain you the way it did. Uh, and her and a love is never uh, submitted to abuse. If 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 you, for example, if I loan you money and you don't pay me back, you know you can talk to me about certain situations and stuff like that. I may even loan you something else if you give me a good excuse the first time. But if you keep doing that, I'm not going to keep giving you money. No, I'm not going to keep doing that. And if somebody is abusive or whatever, you know, you don't keep putting yourself in that position. That's, that's not love. Good question, but it's not love. Does God love not have a basis in feelings if we act in love toward our enemies, even when we don't feel like it or want to? Is that genuine? Well, see... See, that's a really good question. I'm going to read it again. And I'm glad you asked that question. Does God's love not have a basis in feelings? God's love is not based off feelings, period. Period. Remove feelings away from. It is a decision. It's an act of your will to obey what God is telling you to do. It has nothing to do with feelings. You can love folk and not feel nothing about it. In fact, God doesn't expect you to feel love toward enemies. He said love them. He didn't say feel love for them. So, great question. Does love have a basis in feelings? No. If we act in love toward our enemies, even when we don't feel like it or want to, is that genuine? Is that something God will even acknowledge or accept as being Christ-like? Yes, it's genuine. Because when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, he didn't feel it. See, that's, that's a mistake that we've made. And the world trained us that way. We've been trained to feel love. I love you. You love me. Why? Because we feel it. And, and that's why there's so much divorce in the world. Because we don't feel it anymore. We don't feel it. We don't feel the way we felt when we were dating. We don't feel it. No, get that out. That's great questions. It is genuine. It is genuine. It is genuine. You can, you, you know, 
Years ago, I had somebody say something to me. I got out of the car on the highway. I didn't have to do it, but I wanted to mark my thinking. I, I stood up and I said, Father, I forgive them, and I want you to hold it against. I, I didn't feel nothing. I don't feel nothing. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't always feel love toward my wife. She don't always feel love toward me. So feelings, think about it. We've been married 43 years. I'm quite sure there are times she felt anger. There's some she felt mad. She felt whatever. You, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. It's a decision to act out on what Jesus tells you to do, regardless to your feeling. In fact, isn't that what faith is? We walk by faith, not by sight. See, when you're walking about feelings, you're not in faith at all. It's a great question, but I'm glad you asked it. And God will acknowledge it. God will accept it. It is Christ-like. Um, Pastor Mike, what you are teaching us is not a one and done, but we must repeatedly look forward to, to, forward to God's promises, study and confess the word, cast down imaginations that attempt to get us off track. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's not a one and done. No, it's a growth. It's a process. It, the love, joy, peace, and all these other qualities were placed in your spirit in seed form, which means they grow. They grow and develop, which means we should look more like Jesus as we walk with him. Now, the beauty of the fruit of the spirit, if we got something to measure ourselves by, we need some quantitative way to determine whether or not we're being more like him. Well, when I look at this, I can look, evaluate whether I'm in love. I can evaluate whether I'm operating by joy. I can evaluate whether I'm operating by peace, you know, because I know if I'm worrying, I'm not operating in peace. I know if I'm depressed and suicidal, I'm not operating in joy. If I'm bitter and don't want to speak to people, you know, I know I'm not operating in love. So what the fruit of the Spirit does, it gives us a grid that will help us. And, and we have to be intentional about this. You've got to be intentional about walking in this. And sometimes you may miss it, but you get right back up and you ask the Spirit of God to help you. And he's going to train you and develop you in these qualities. Great. Love it. Great questions. Um, I pr trust you got blessed today. Um, we'll look at the next three next week. God bless you. Thank you for your questions and thank you for your participation.